Well, as I mentioned just a moment ago, for those of you that are visiting, we have been teaching out of the book of Titus for the past several Sundays. And I invite you to turn there with me. Titus chapter 2 is where we are at. It's a chapter that speaks to every group of people possible in the church of Jesus Christ and has something to say for older men, older women, younger men, younger women. All of it is covered, and the breadth of it is just uh, stunning. And to kind of prepare our hearts for it and to get your minds, uh, you know, kind of working in the right direction here. Beloved, I want to help you think through some things at the start. When Jesus Christ saved you, He saved you with a purpose that was more than just giving you a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus Christ saved you for purposes in this world as well. He called you and He saved you in order to separate you from the world, to make you distinct, to belong to Him exclusively so that he would conform you to become like him over the course of time and to serve his purposes with your life. We are no longer our own in Christ. We belong to him. And our purpose is to fulfill what he calls us to do, not to pursue our own worldly and earthly agenda our own selfish agenda. That's not the purpose of life anymore. You know, the, you know, the young man who is pursuing a career designed to make him rich and famous and Christ saves him realizes that in time he comes to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ has redefined the entire purpose of his life. And you see that toward the end of Titus chapter 2, this call that Christ has made to separate you from the world. Look at verse 11 with me. We're just by introduction setting the stage here, speaking on more broad principles before we get to specific principles later in the message. In Titus chapter 2 verse 11, you see this, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I'll stop there for a moment. Notice, beloved, there is a put-off element of salvation that we put off ungodliness and worldly desires. The time that you have already lived in sin is sufficient, Scripture says, for you to have pursued the ungodly course of unsaved people. And so you put that off. You die to that. You, you take up your cross, in other words. And what follows is a a putting on of something else, a new purpose in life that orients your life in a totally different trajectory with completely different affections, where he says, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Jesus Christ, my Christian friend, saved you out of ungodliness, called you out of that so that you would live in a godly way. 
And that is fundamental to understand that your entire life orientation has been altered by the sovereign work and the sovereign prerogative of Jesus Christ. He saved you sovereignly in order that you would serve his sovereign purposes with your life. And that is the nature of salvation. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You see that same negative and positive aspect of the purposes of salvation here as we live on earth. You see that same put off, put on dynamic in verse 14 as well. He redeemed us from every lawless deed. You were living a lawless, ungodly life without regard for Christ and without love for him and his word. And now he has saved you. And, and the call is different now. Christ saved you for himself to purify for himself a people for his own possession. I mean, it's just stunning. The sovereign majesty of Christ in salvation where he looks upon a sinful man, a sinful woman, and puts his hand on them by his spirit, draws them to himself and says, you are now mine. You belong to me and you live for my purposes now. And so it says there in verse 14 that he would purify a people for his own possession to belong to Christ no longer for themselves, zealous for good deeds. Now look, beloved, that's very fundamental to understanding the nature of, of salvation. Jesus Christ did not save you so that you know, you could live a happier, more prosperous life. That's not, that's not the point of salvation. He didn't save you to fix all of your problems or to, you know, to heal every physical malady that you would ever have during the course of your life. It's obvious that physical healing was not the ultimate end of redemption because everybody dies. If Christ died to heal every man of every earthly disease, then salvation is a miserable failure because everybody dies. It's appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. And so we put aside those popular but false notions of Christianity, and we ask ourselves, what is it that Christ saved me for? He saved you, beloved, to belong to him to be his, to execute his purposes with your life and the life that he gives you. And what we find in Titus chapter 2 is an explanation and a description of what that looks in different segments of church life. So Jesus Christ saved you to separate you from your old way of life. And Paul isn't done speaking to that theme just at the end of Titus chapter 2. Look at chapter 3, verse 3, as he's continuing on teaching about the implications of salvation and, and remembering this, the negative put-off aspect that we're talking about here and the positive put-on aspects. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, an echo of Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, where Paul says, 
We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. As I stand here, I feel like I'm reading a biography of the first 22 years of my life. That's what I was like. Verse 4, but when, but by contrast, in the language of Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God, but God, verse 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Beloved, look, you were ungodly before Christ saved you. And if you are not a Christian, you are by definition ungodly as you sit here today. To be outside of Christ is to be an ungodly person. It is to be in the realm of Satan, in the realm of darkness, to belong to the father of lies rather than to belong to the Son of God. And so, so for those of you that are not Christians, that's, you're reading, you're reading your current biography in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. That's who you are now. For those of us that are in Christ, we need to step back and do some fundamental thinking about the nature of life and, and who we are and who we belong to. You see, Christ came to save you out of your worldly sinful desires and to change you from your worldly, sinful, ungodly self into an instrument that he can actually use for his own purposes. And beloved, that, prof- that realization, that understanding profoundly, profoundly affects the way that you live. And it, it affects it in the most practical ways. And that's what we see in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Remember that, that what Paul has done in these early verses of Titus chapter 2 is rooted in the soil of the things that we have just seen from verses 11 to 14 and then into Titus chapter 3. And so he speaks to older men. He's speaking to older Christian men and saying, in light of the work of Christ, this is the kind of person, this is the kind of character that you are to cultivate. In light of the work and person of Christ, verse 3, this is what older women are to be like. They are to watch their tongues and they are to seek to minister to the younger women in the church and to have the the teaching of kindness on their tongues. We looked at that in the last two weeks, older men, older women. And now we come to a most practical passage in verses 4 through 5 that address the young women in the church. And this is of most practical consequence. Our church, Truth Community Church, 
I'm, I'm glad to say, is blessed with a number, uh, a, 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 a very encouraging number of young women who want to be godly. It shows in the way, in the decisions that they make. For those that are married, it shows in the way that they live their lives and the way that they give themselves to their husband and to their children. And it is very, it is a blessed encouragement for us in leadership to have such young women like that in our church. And so as I'm preaching from this passage today, my goal is to strengthen and encourage you in that and also to give you an opportunity to, to see how you might continue to grow in Christ. Beloved, here's the thing. And the things that we're going to talk about here have, have broader application than just the young ladies, but the text is speaking to primarily to the young ladies today. And those of you that are maybe in your teenage years, you know, and you don't, you're not yet at that stage of starting a relationship or starting a family, this is a, 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 an amazing opportunity for you to, to look at what God sets as the, as the aspirations of a godly heart. And if you're a young woman, a young teen woman in Christ, you have an opportunity to see what God defines as the priorities for a young woman, which you are becoming, and to, and to start to cultivate your desires in that direction. It's not too early for you to pursue a godly life. It's not too early for you to cultivate these virtues in your own heart as you go forward. And to think about, what kind of woman do I want to become? What kind of woman should I be in light of the work of Christ in my life? That's what we have before us in this wonderful text. And so what does godliness look like for a young woman in Christ? What should mark the aspirations of her heart? Before I read the text, I want to kind of pull my introduction into this and help you think, again, on a most basic fundamental level. Ladies, whatever it is, that God's word has for you, understand that it is necessarily going to be different from the world. And it is going to be different from your prior way of life before Christ saved you. If you were the child of Satan before salvation, which you were, and now you are the child of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be obvious that you should expect something fundamentally different than what animated you before. And if this world, as it does, lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John chapter 5, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and the world expresses itself in its philosophies and its entertainment and in its, in its advertising and what it entices you and calls you and tells you what you should be, ladies, you should understand that whatever God's word has for you is going to be something very distinct and countercultural to that. We should not expect when we come to Scripture to find that which, which affirms what the world is doing. 
We would not expect to find scripture affirming what women do who have no regard for Christ whatsoever. Ladies, you've got to stop and step back and think in those fundamental terms. The world is opposed to Christ. The world belongs to Satan. The world speaks from what it knows, and what it knows is ungodliness. If you are in Christ, you've been saved for the purpose of godliness, and that is going to be different. It is going to be distinct from what the world affirms as being important and the things that you should pursue. So, what does godliness look like for a young woman? And where would we find godliness defined for us? Well, we find godliness defined for us in the Word of God. We find it defined for us by the Word of Christ as expressed through His Apostle Paul. Jesus Jesus called the Apostle Paul to His ministry and equipped him and authorized him to speak and to be a vessel of the revelation of Christ to His church. It's here that we find what God has for young women and what He calls them to do. We'll start in verse 3 to pick up the context, and then we'll read through verse 5, where it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. What is good? What is it that older women should be teaching younger women? What is that good teaching? Well, Paul immediately defines it and gives the content of the teaching that young women should be looking for, that older women in the church should be voicing to them, what church leadership and what husbands and what men in the church should be affirming and supporting and making enabling to happen. It's this in verse 4, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Ladies, God has called you to a deep-seated commitment to biblical priorities, and He has defined them for you in His authoritative Word. Listen, this isn't about a patriarchal system trying to impose and control women. This is what the lovely Lord Jesus Christ blesses young women with and points them in this direction by sovereign prerogative saying, this is the life that I saved you to live. This is the life that I, by my authority, Christ speaking, Christ calls you by His authority to this kind of life. The Christian woman of any age, the truly Christian woman, would, should never, would never buck against Christ and say, I don't like that, I reject that, I don't care that it's in God's Word, that's not what I want. Oh, ladies... That's not the Spirit of Christ speaking in you. The Spirit of Christ speaking in you is that which is like what Isaiah said, Lord, here I am. 
Send me. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, when Christ stopped him on the road to Damascus, Lord, what would you have me to do? You see, you come and you lay your sensitive, tender heart out before the one who saved it, and you lay it before Christ, and in prayer, and in a, in a life understanding and commitment, you say, Lord, what would you have for me? Because you are the supreme object of my love and my affection. You are the one who saved my soul. And so, of course, I'm going to submit myself to you. What is it that you want from me? You come to Christ with that kind of spirit, and then the blessings can flow as his word starts to shape the way that you think and ultimately the way that you live. And that's what we see expressed here in verses 4 and 5. Ladies, God calls you to a deep-seated commitment to the priorities of Christ for your life. And we're going to see that expressed in four different ways here in our message today. And first of all, and this is where we'll spend most of our time, it's the priority of relationships. First of all, it's a priority of relationships. And I realize that we have a number of unmarried ladies in our church, and this passage in this section of Scripture here speaks to what your priorities are, even if you do not have a family yet, you are not yet married, you do not have children, what you see is the priority of relationships in the heart of a godly woman. The godly woman should be devoted to her relationships. This is anti-cultural. This is not elevating career as the aspiration of a woman that 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 becomes the defining thing that she wants. I got to have a career. I want to be a CEO myself. I'm going to show that I can be just as good as any man in any occupation. That's the world talking. That's the world talking. The world that's dominated by Satan, that's the world talking in those kinds of terms. God speaks differently. Look at verse 4. What are the older women to be instructing the younger women in? Verse 4, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Encourage here, that they may encourage the young woman. It has the sense of training them in self-control. In, in developing this as the controlling disposition of your life. You exercise discipline in your mind in order to think in this way. The older women are called to tell the younger women these things and to graciously, lovingly bring them to their senses to understand what it is that God has for them so that the older women are telling these younger women Sweetheart, love your husband. Love your children. You tell me that your husband is difficult to live with? Love him in the midst of it. You tell me that your children are, are, are hard to discipline and you're disciplining them for the same thing six times a day and it never seems to stop and you're tired and you're frustrated and you feel unappreciated? The older woman says, Sweetheart, I understand that. Here's what you do in the midst of it. You love your husband and you love your children. That's what you are to do. 
Now look, ladies, what, what you quickly see when real life hits the fan, so to speak, what you quickly find out is that this is lived out, this is lived out in obedience to Christ, not in the context of a lot of flowers and romance necessarily. Some of you may find a man who, who buys you flowers every week, who whispers sweet nothings in your ear from day to day. You may find that, but as life goes on, you know, that's not always the way that it's lived out. I'll tell you something, You'll, everyone in this room is going to hate me for what I'm about to say. And so, uh, but just to give you a sense of that you can have sympathy for my wife. I don't know when I last actually sent her flowers. Here's what I do. We have a little agreement. She likes this. But if I go to Kroger or Costco, you know what I'll do? I'll take a little picture of the flowers. I text her the picture of the flowers, thinking of you. Yeah, you can hiss and all of that. It's a lot less expensive. <laughs> we have an understanding. My point here being is that it's not always going to play out in the romantic ways that you, you thought in your, in your youth. It's not always going to be the outcome in the Hallmark movies that you watch at Christmas time, ladies. The reality is likely to be less glamorous, more challenging, more of a grind from day to day. And in the midst of it, the call of Christ on your life is for you to love your husband and to love your children. What does that even mean? If it's not about romance and big fluffy feelings about one another, what does that even mean? Well, let's step back and think about the Christ who saved you. What did love motivate Christ to do? Look over at Matthew chapter 20 with me. Matthew chapter 20. And as we're turning here, as we're turning here, remember and understand that we're seeing what Christ says. I'm not saying that Christ affirms me in sending photos of flowers to my wife. That's kind of a joke. As we get serious about it, what did the love of Christ compel and call him to do? In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, actually look at verse 25. You see this, Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. That's the worldly way. In Christ, in me, Jesus says, it's something different. In me, as my disciple, verse 26, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Love in Christ motivated him to serve, to give of himself for the benefit and the advancement of his disciples. 
In John chapter 15, turn there with me. John chapter 15. There's so many passages we probably should take time to look at 1 Corinthians 13, but we won't. Just seeing this out of the mouth of Jesus, John 15, verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus was speaking this on the eve of his crucifixion. He's speaking about love. And he says, here's what love does. Love lays down its life for those in its circle of relationships. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus says, in essence, looking back on it, Jesus says, I am about to lay down my life for you at the cross. That's what friends do. That's what love does. It lays down its life for the objects of its love. And then he went out and he laid his life down for his friends, for us, suffering in our stead, bearing the wrath of God on our behalf, receiving the nails, receiving the crown of thorns, receiving the spittle in his face, receiving the outpouring of the wrath of God. Beloved, in that moment, nothing glorious from an earthly perspective was happening. It was all an act of self-sacrifice on the part of our Lord. Ladies, that changes the way you view everything if you're in Christ. You no longer complain, I have to sacrifice so much in this place. My husband is ungrateful. My children... Don't cooperate with me. And it makes me angry. That's not the spirit of it, ladies. That's the spirit of the world. It's not the spirit of Christ. No, you look at Christ, you look at what love incarnate looks like, you look at the sacrifice, and you say to yourself, he did that... He did that for me. He loved, he loved me and gave himself up for me. He sacrificed for me when I was a rebel against him. I got a rebel husband. I got rebel children. And Christ laid down his life when I was a rebel. You look at Christ as a Christian woman, and you no longer resent the circumstances. You say, I get the high and lofty privilege of following Christ in the sphere that he's given to me. Ladies, look at that. And look, I, I suppose that for, you know, it's, you know, we have Christian families here. There should be Christian women who are glad to be with the man that God has given to you, that you find joy and satisfaction even in the midst of some of the troubles. 
Ladies, if you've got a good husband, you should be grateful for him. Not everyone does. I'm kind of teaching at the, at the hard end of the spectrum because if you do that, it's easier for those that aren't on the hard end of the spectrum. But here is the point. Ladies, you start by contemplating the purpose of God in your life by looking vertically, looking at Titus 2, 11 to 14, looking at Titus 3, 3 to 7. I have a different purpose in life. It's defined by the one who saved me. What did he do? What was he like? He laid down his life. And now he comes and he tells me in his eternal purpose, what I want you to do is I want you to lay your life down in a way that is like unto the way that Christ laid his life down. And you say, now no longer from a spirit of resentment against the human difficulties of it all, you look up and with gratitude in your heart, you look at Christ and you say, I get to follow you? You've called me to be like you and to lay down my life in self-sacrifice for those around me? What a high calling of God on my life! What a high calling to emulate the virtue of Christ in the life that He has given to me. And it totally redefines life for you. And so, ladies, those of you that are married and those of you that have children, those of you that are listening, I assume, in the cry room, Jesus Christ calls you to give your best time and your best effort to your husband and to your children. And the rest of life fits in around those priorities, whatever that means. And when you are tired, when you are frustrated, when you are neglected, and I say that with deep sympathy knowing that some of you are, when you are unappreciated, step back from it all and know that Jesus Christ is using that to conform you to His image. Christ lived among a people that did not receive Him. Scripture says He came to His own and His own did not receive Him, John chapter 1. They rejected Him. They opposed Him. They crucified Him. And yet He laid down His life in love for such rebels like that. Ladies, if Christ did that for you, it's not too much for Him to say, now you follow me in the path that I have gone first before you in. Christ, through His Word, calls you to love your husband and to love your children, fully recognizing that it may not always be easy or pleasant. Now, I have a lot of, that I want to say by way of application to this. In Proverbs chapter 31, you'll find a description of a resourceful, hardworking woman who rises early to feed her children, to feed her family, to clothe her household. She interacts with others. It speaks about selling fabrics in the marketplace and considering land and buying it. But the focus, the center point of it all is her household, is her husband, as she is developing an inner character in her heart. Look at Proverbs chapter 31, verse 25 with me. Proverbs 31, verse 25 if we were doing a more extended series on this point, we would add a whole exposition of 
this chapter to the series. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 25 through 37. Ladies, this is a high calling. This is what God calls you to. And notice the aspect of the inner character of it, that there's a depth to this woman. There's a sterling character about her that feeds off of Christ in her heart and grows in Christ inside. And then the other things become an overflow of what's happening inside her. In verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She has an optimistic disposition. She's not lazy. She's wise. She's feeding off of God's word in one way or another. And so this is the life to which God calls a married woman. Now look, I realize that there are some teachers that would try to go and regulate it more specifically than what I'm, you know, than what I'm uh, saying here and say you can do this and you can't do that. Uh, beloved, that's kind of missing the point from the start. What you need to see, what you need to grasp are these fundamental spiritual virtues, this fundamental direction of the, of the Word of God in your life. And as you do that, God, by the Holy Spirit, will shape the attitudes of your heart that will help you make the right decisions as you work in concert with your husband in life. Scripture deals with this preeminently at the level of principle, not in do's and don'ts. But we can at least say this much, ladies, and in teaching Titus 2, as I said last week, you know, it, you say things that offend the world, and in Titus 2, you say things that are sooner or later going to affect, affect and offend ladies who claim the name of Christ. This needs to be said. What I'm about to say needs to be said. Godly women with children do not arrange their lives so that child care centers or other family members bear the primary weight of raising their children. Ladies, those children, God gave those children to you. The call is for you to love your children and to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that in itself, is that's a full-time job. That's day-to-day -day training over time. And so we need to be aware of this. We need to be mindful of this. And, and for those ladies, those young women of, that in our church that do this, and I know that you've arranged your lives and some of you have given up careers and don't exercise your giftedness in order to have the time to devote to your children, I respect that and I affirm that greatly. And we just need to understand that this is the calling of God. Your husband and your children, ladies, are your responsibility before God. I'm going to be rather explicit in what I'm about to say because I believe this needs to be said 
And it is in perfect keeping with the spirit of the text that we're looking at in Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Ladies, those of you with children, you need to understand and you need to think like this. I say it gently and I say it as discreetly as I know how to say. Your procreative activity brought those children into the world. As a result of that, as a result of your activity, those children are now your responsibility. They are your responsibility to raise and to nurture and to care for. That's, it just, it just follows. It's not the place of a godly woman to delegate that. She embraces it. These are the children God has given to me. A godly woman, especially in the day in which we live, says, I have the high privilege of being a shield against the wicked designs of the world trying to groom my children for another agenda. I have the high privilege of being able to defend my children against that, to train them so that they won't be sucked into that satanic evil activity that the world has their designs to set them upon. That's a high, high calling. That is a great, great privilege. And the godly woman sees that. This isn't just something that Scripture imposes externally. This is what a godly woman says. That's what I want. That's a high and lofty calling. Now, continuing in application here and in things that I just think need to be said. Ladies, young ladies in particular, you need to do this. You need to pay close attention to the voices that you let influence you. Because not everybody, even within the walls of a local church, are going to encourage you in this direction. You need to be mindful of the fact that there are, there are worldly people even within the church of Christ. Worldly people who would look on you in your difficult marriage and say, you don't deserve that. What does, who does he think he is? You need to assert yourself. I wouldn't blame you if you left him. You can hear stuff like that. And if you search hard enough for voices, you'll find someone to tell you what you want to hear, if that's what you want. But let's not, let's not play games and pretend that just because it comes within the walls of a local church that it's godly counsel. You have to evaluate what the substance of the counsel is. And you can screen it all with Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Is this person telling me to love my husband? Is she telling me how I can do that better? Is she encouraging me in the direction of being faithful and patient with my children? Or is she telling me something else? Look, if she's telling you something else, put your fingers in your ear, and as you're walking out of the door away from her, go, blah, 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 I'm not listening to you. Speaking metaphorically there. You've got to pay attention to who it is that is influencing you. And ladies, it's always going to be harder at the start to listen to an older godly woman who is calling you to biblical sacrifice. It's always going to be more difficult to the flesh to do that. And let me just go further. 
Ask me about this message at the leadership development class in September. I'll be there. I'll be leading that one. Ask me about this message, and I'll talk more about it at that time in response to a question if someone asks me about it. But ladies, this is another thing that I need to say. I'm a pastor, and I have responsibility for the souls in front of me. And I have an earnest responsibility before God to help, to encourage, to warn, even to admonish at times on points like this, because it is right here, right, right what we're talking about here can be the inflection point for the way entire families unfold. And so, yes, as a pastor, I'm going to say things without regard to whether it offends somebody or not. I don't care. I'm more concerned to protect souls than I am to offend somebody who is stung by the application of the Word of God to their heart. Young ladies, young married ladies, you need to understand and consider this. Be mindful of the fact that your peers may not be the best voices of counsel. The mere fact that you're in the same position of life does not mean that that's necessarily the best place to find counsel on how to develop and how to respond to difficulties in your life. Maybe yes, maybe no. Understand and look to the fact in Titus chapter 2, look at it again there with me, Titus chapter 2, that God assigns the responsibility for that counsel to an older woman, an older woman who's been there, who's been through it, whose life you can look at and say, you know, did she come out reasonably godly on the other side? Does she speak from experience? in these things? And is she calling me to love my husband and to love my children? Scripture calls you to look for older women who affirm biblical principles to you, even if it's hard to hear. And, beloved, that means means something. You know, Scripture did not give this prerogative this responsibility to women in their 20s to be telling teenagers how they ought to live. That's not the pattern. I know, I know that there are arrogant young women who would try to do that. I know that full well and would try to say, I'm older than you, therefore you need to do what I tell you to do. You young ladies, look at life and think about what you're doing and understand that if you're in your parents' home, you're a teenager or something, the voice of authority in in your life comes through your parents, comes through your elders, not through some young woman that maybe got saved two years ago and is calling you to things that are not even biblical. You just have to be discerning and consider who is this that is seeking to influence my life. So, godly mothers understand that Scripture defines their priority. It's not about finding a career. It's not about having girlfriends as your primary focus of life. It's certainly not about other aspects of life and social media and things like that is what your world revolves around revolves around your relationships, Scripture says. Now, 
So much more that I wish I could say, but time is already failing us. Let's go to a second priority here for young women here. That's the priority of righteousness. The priority of righteousness. Titus chapter 2 verse verse 5 says that they are to be sensible and pure. Purity here is a positive expression of the spirit against adultery. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 and 10, you can turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible to that. We looked at this last time, as I recall. Understand that the, that the, the call of Christ to godliness to a woman is internal in the way that she thinks and what her virtues are internally. It manifests itself on the outside as well. Paul says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. The idea is don't dress in a way that calls attention to yourself. I'm not going to talk about skirt lengths or necklines or anything like that. Don't dress. It's the call of Scripture is more principled than that. Don't dress in a way that calls attention to yourself. Be sensible about it. Be pure. God calls you to cultivate virtue in your life, not to present yourself in a worldly appearance. And ladies, you, again, you young ladies still in high school, what an opportunity to cultivate this now in your heart and to look for ladies, look for, look for those who model this for you as an example to follow rather than taking your cues from your immodestly dressed friends. These things need to be said. There's a priority of righteousness there, priority of relationships. Thirdly, you see the priority of residence, the priority of residence. The Bible calls, Christ calls, a Christian woman to make the home her priority in life. Look at it here in verse 4. And understand that this is not me saying this. This is what God says in His Word. If you don't like this, you need to understand who it is that you're objecting to. And let that define the terms of the debate in your heart. Because it's the Bible that says, it's God that says in verse 5 that older women are to encourage younger women to be sensible, pure, here it is, workers at home. Workers at home. The center point, the fulcrum around your, which your life operates is your home. That's what Scripture says. And as I said earlier, in light of Proverbs 31, it's too much to say that she can only and exclusively be at home. We don't want to say more than what Scripture says. But friends, beloved men and women in Christ, isn't it obvious as you look out at the world around us, you look at employment trends and all of that, isn't it obvious that our threat today is not Christian women being home too much? That's not the threat to our society. That's not the threat to our church. 
The threat today, speaking broadly, speaking beyond the walls of Truth Community Church, just speaking generally, the threat is, is that they're home too little. They're not home enough. They bought into the lie that quality time can make up for absence six days a week. They've bought into the lie that, that, you know, we can just kind of pigeonhole a time where I'll instruct the child. It's not the way child raising works. The most strategic times of child raising occur in unscheduled moments when a kid blurts something out of his mouth and all of a sudden you've got a moment to influence them for Christ. I'm grateful that we have women that realize that and make it their priority. As you consider the priority of of residence, you realize that it's not just being at home. Verse 5, look at it there again with me. To be workers at home, to be kind, being subject to their own husbands. This is completely countercultural. This is contrary to probably the majority of teaching and what professes to be the evangelical church. Women are to line up under the authority of their husband, to recognize his leadership and to honor it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Colossians 3.18, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Be submissive to your husband. Be submissive to your husband. Submit to your husband. You know, I'm so committed to this principle. It's throughout Scripture that when I conduct a wedding and I have vows. I show the vows that I require from a groom and a bride. I show them in advance. And included in that is that the, the wife pledges to her husband, I will submit to you. To have and to hold, to submit to you. I'm jumbling the sequence of it. This is a biblical requirement. And I understand, I understand why, why pastors would overlook that, would, would suppress that in the marriage vows. But this is what God calls wives to do. There must be an understanding in a Christian wedding that this is the responsibility and the vow that the wife is making, making it in the presence of Christ who calls her to live this way, not simply to the man himself. You know, and... You know, some ladies are more outspoken, some husbands are more reserved, but there needs to be a fundamental understanding about that. Now understand, understand, men, that a wise husband listens to a wise wife. Here's what she has to say. Part of the love that the husband gives to his wife is to consider her feelings, to give her opportunity to speak, to weigh that maybe she's got better ideas on things, some things than you do, and to calculate that in. But ladies, the call of Scripture is on, is on you to be subject to your own husband, to your own husband, not to every man in the world. The wife follows the authority of her husband. And let me just say a few things here. This is just so critical and foundational for, for life. For you unmarried ladies, 
one of the things that this urgently means to you is that you don't rush into a decision about getting married to a man that you don't really know. You don't do that. You don't commit yourself quickly and hurriedly to someone that you just met a few weeks ago. You don't do that for your own sake. Forget about me for your own sake. You need to know what that, you need to have an idea of what that man is going to do with his authority in your marriage relationship. The fact that you're impatient to get married, the fact that you're tired of waiting, is not a reason to compromise and to to risk everything just for the sake of some companionship that may or may not prove to be loving in the end. Understand the, the principle that you're undertaking in marriage. And another thing that I want to say to you young ladies, unmarried ladies, and I'm speaking as your friend, I'm speaking as one that is utterly on your side looking to protect you in this moment in which I'm about to speak here. Ladies, young ladies, beware. Beware of a man who tells you in your dating relationship that you are to listen only to him. Beware, because that is manipulation. That is control. That is someone who is trying to insulate you from the biblical voices of counsel that might caution you against going into a relationship that would prove to be to your ultimate harm. Listen to the older women in your lives. Listen to your parents. Listen to your godly friends when they say, I'm concerned about this. Don't break off relationships because someone says, I love you enough that I'm concerned about you. What kind of fool acts like that? I ask you. You see, Titus 2, ladies, Titus 2 assumes that young women will be receiving this counsel from outside, listening, having a teachable spirit, having the humility to realize maybe I don't know everything here. Maybe I'm vulnerable. Maybe I need to pay heed. If I could get if I could get a young woman of marriageable age to listen to anything that I said on a practical level about life that would be it. I would plead with them to listen to that and to heed it. I know too many stories of how it turns out when that counsel is rejected. And I love you enough to tell you. You know, and I realize, let's be pastoral here. I realize that for some of you, maybe, you've been bruised by young men who abuse the very point that I'm talking about. And you feel you carry some scars over that. 
maybe even having sinned with him in ways that you now deeply regret. Ladies, understand that the grace of God comes to you. The grace of God can restore you. Christ can, can heal and restore your heart in these things as you come to him. But let the, let the fact that you laid your hand on the stove and your hand got burned, let that be the object lesson that says, I don't want burned like that again. I'm going to be more careful next time. And you parents of teenage girls, you've got, a, you've got an opportunity and you have an absolute right and prerogative to speak into their lives about these things, and you should, to protect them from men that you should see if you're paying attention might bring ultimate harm to your daughter. It's a priority of residence. Fourth and finally, the priority of revelation Paul gives the motivating reason for this instruction at the end of verse 5. Ladies, you love Christ. You, you, you want to glorify Him with your life. All of these things of which Scripture points you to is for that ultimate end, for the Word of Christ incarnate and for the Word of Christ written. Look at the end of verse 5 so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. There's a priority of revelation here, point number four. The revelation of God. Ladies, ladies, what Paul is saying here is that this is the kind of life that honors Jesus Christ. This is the kind of life that makes the gospel of Christ distinct and makes it attractive to those who observe. And you honor the Word of God by this kind of lifestyle. And so, again, I'm just, I'm just speaking bluntly today. A godly woman like the one that we've described here today, a godly woman like the one that we've described here today from Scripture, testifies powerfully against today's lesbian mindset. That hostile, angry mindset that's, at, that's at, at, at odds with the world, that wants to fight with everybody. This godly, reverent, kind, sensible, loving life shows that there's another way, shows that there is a better way, and testifies and upholds by their very lifestyle the living Word of God. Dear ladies, dear ladies in Christ, based on Scripture, I call you to this life. I call you to Christ if you do not know Him. I call you to model this from your heart and in your life decisions. A godly wife calls the world to repent by her very life. Ladies, I can make you one human promise here. As you live this way, Truth Community Church will be here to support you as you do. And more importantly, Christ Himself will attend you and watch over you with His grace as you seek to obey Him in this way in response to His saving work in your life.
Now it's up to you to decide what you do. Let's pray together. Father, bless these dear women. Encourage them in Christ that they might walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Protect, oh God, oh God, protect the young unmarried women in our, in our midst. Guard them from foolish decisions. Guard them from controlling manipulative men. Raise up for them, Father, some wanting this especially. Raise up for them. Bring them godly men rooted in doctrine who will love them as Christ loved the church and help them to be patient as they wait on you to do your work in the life that you have given to them in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Pastor Don Green from Truth Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can find more church information, Don's complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at thetruthpulpit.com, teaching God's people God's Word. This message is copyrighted by Don Green, all rights reserved.